morning, everybody. Big thanks to, to John for that, that announcement. This is a pretty unprecedented year for Mission Sunday, and so um, there's a lot of work behind the scenes going on for that, and I'm thankful for all those people. I do want to just, just uh, point out a few things and remind you of a few things leading up to Mission Sunday. So today is not Mission Sunday. If some of you are wondering why does the sign say Mission Sunday, the Mission Sunday is actually uh, two weeks from today, September 27th. But I'm starting a series today which will lead us up to that day as far as the, what we're going to be talking about and studying about. Uh, usually we have materials that we give to you, and then these materials give you a, a list of the, the projects and the, the efforts and the missionaries which this big gift will go to. Uh, because of safety reasons, we don't want to pass out a bunch of pamphlets and information. So the way that you access that list this year is mrcc.org slash Mission Sunday. Really encourage you to go to that list because that helps you connect with the people that this, this Sunday is really all about. So at some point, please go to mrcc.org slash Mission Sunday. Check out that list. A second thing you'll find there, John mentioned this, but one thing we think is really important is that we connect with our missionaries. And so we have quite a few Zoom meetings set up on that website, and we really want you to sign up for those. Because if you've ever uh, been on the mission field or known a missionary on the mission field, it's so vital that we keep that connection alive. And so please go to that uh, webpage, click on that link to Zoom with our missionaries. Uh, final thing I'll say about Mission Sunday before I hop into the message is uh, the unique thing we're going to do this year, we always try to do something special on Mission Sunday, and so I'm going to give you a heads up as to what it is so you can prepare. Two weeks from today, we're going to do a reverse parade. So a normal parade is when you line up on a street and you watch the cars and the floats and the bands and the people walk by. A reverse parade is when you get in your car and, and you drive by booths that we have set up. So two weeks from today in, in the, the Summit parking lot, we're going to have 10 stations set up for 10 of our mission points. We'll have big screens with our missionaries on the screen. And so as you drive by, you, you'll get to connect with 10 different mission points in a reverse parade. We have all sorts of entertainment planned for people as they drive their cars. Now, the reason we're doing this via car is because, especially for those of you at home, we want to make sure you can do this. And so two weeks from today, uh, right after worship service, we're going to invite everybody to get in their car and go through the line for the reverse parade. And if you're wondering about weather, don't worry about it. I already prayed, and it's not going to rain uh, two weeks from today. We'll have more details next week, but just plan on that uh, reverse parade on Mission Sunday two weeks from today. And, and this, for a lot of you, this goes without saying, but I, I will say it, our gifts really make a difference for Mission Sunday. So go ahead and start planning right now what you want to give for Mission Sunday in two weeks. One of my good friends, Kendon Murrell, had a great trivia question for me a few weeks ago, and I've asked this to quite a few people because I just think it's a great question, so I'll ask the whole audience today. How old is the oldest person to have survived COVID this year? Turn to your neighbor and see if you can guess the age. Oldest person to have survived COVID this year. And the answer is 113 years old. Her name is Maria Brañas, she's from Spain. And get this, the story goes on. It's not just that she survived COVID at 113 years old. She was born in 1907. 
which means that she was 11 years old when the Spanish flu epidemic happened in 1918. She caught that and survived it. She survived World War I. She survived the Spanish Civil War. She survived World War II. I think she'd get a lot of votes if she ran for president. Also, last year, the story continues, at age 112, she decided to open a Twitter account. Why not? Here's what, here's what her bio says. I am old, very old, but not an idiot. This is great. I love people like Maria because people like Maria teach the rest of us that when life pushes you down, you, you get back up. And you don't get paralyzed. You keep going. You, every setback is just an opportunity to keep moving forward. I love people like Maria. They don't see adversity. They see adversity as opportunity. And, and my guess is at some point in your life, maybe you went to a seminar, maybe you read a book about this. You've probably heard this. It's a great point that it's a really healthy thing to see problems, not as problems, but as opportunities. And if you've never heard that, it's, it's a great way to think about life. And, and so, for example, people that I think have done a great job of that recently have been our educators. Our teachers, our administrators have done such a good job of taking a problem. How are we going to teach students this fall? And they've turned it into an, an opportunity. We're going to learn more about technology. We're going to connect with more students because the class sizes are going to be smaller. They, they've translated a problem into an opportunity. You, you, parents do this a lot. Your kid breaks a glass, that's a problem, but the opportunity is maybe the kid can have a chance to learn how to clean it up. Maybe your, your kid gets a speeding ticket, that's a problem. Well, the opportunity is maybe your kid can get a job or get a bike, doesn't want to get a job. Take a problem, turn it into an opportunity. And so here's my question for you this morning, and I ask this to you as not as a member of the Memorial Road Church of Christ, I'm really wanting you to put on the mindset of minister. I preached on this like two months ago that Scripture calls us priests. Like it's our job, not just to be members of the church, but we're, we're the ones carrying out this mission. We're the ministers. We're the ones that are supposed to be doing this job. So I want you to think about this question from the mindset of a minister. But here's the question. It's very simple. What's the opportunity right now in this moment, for this church family, like this year, what, what's the opportunity? I, I've probably talked too much about problems uh, this year, maybe too much from a negative standpoint, but if we could flip that and ask, what is the opportunity? What, what do you think the opportunity would be? I'll confess to you that I've been, I have been bummed out quite a bit this year from a ministry perspective. I have found myself living in the past I said this a few weeks ago, but back in February when Lee Strobel came and we hosted him, it, we had so much positive momentum. We had more guests on our campus than we'd ever had before on that date in February. We had more people than we'd ever had in our, on our campus in February. I, that week where we, where we had Strobel, I was out just in the community. I was at a luncheon with some other ministers from other churches. They didn't know who I was. When I told them I, I worked at the Memorial Road Church of Christ, they said, oh, we know about your church. You're the church that's blessing our community by bringing Lee Strobel. It, everybody was talking about it. And then after he, we, he came, we had, we had lists and lists of, of people to do follow-up 
work with. We had, we had Bible studies set up from this event. There was so much going on from this one event, and that's, that's when the world shut down. And I confess to you that I've been spending a lot of my mental energy thinking about what could have been rather than what can be. Like we, we can't change what happened, but we can view it as an opportunity. And so I want, I want to go to the book of Acts to explore what that opportunity might be. When Acts opens up, Jesus has this conversation with the disciples right before he goes to heaven, and he sets out the mission plan for the book of Acts. Here's what he says. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. That's the plan. And as the book of Acts starts, that's exactly what happens. There's a great start to this great plan. It is it is vintage revival at the beginning of Acts. You've got Peter preaching, 3,000 people get baptized, miracles are abounding at every corner, people are getting cured of their diseases, the church is meeting together, they're generous, they're sharing their possessions. It's, it's almost utopian-like, this community. Their courage is off the charts. They're standing up before these other religious leaders and declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. They pray in Acts 4, and it's so powerful that the ground shakes Everything is going their way at the beginning of Acts. In chapter 7, there's a different story. Chapter 7, this guy named Stephen gets up. He gives this amazing speech arguing that Jesus is the Messiah from the Old Testament. The religious leaders of the day, they don't like it. They don't think Jesus is the Messiah. They put their hands over their ears. They get so angry. They charge Stephen. They pick up rocks, many of which are probably the size of baseballs or softballs, they start throwing these rocks at Stephen. Stephen collapses into a heap on the ground, and eventually one of these rocks probably hits him in the head, fractures his skull, and this great leader of the early church dies. And then it gets worse. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is not good. I mean, notice key words here. Scattered, mourned, destroyed. And so these families, I mean, they've been meeting together, singing together giving to each other, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and all of a sudden, it is just chaos. They're packing up their tents. We got to get out of here. Because if they can kill Stephen, they can kill us. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of sadness. I mean, this man that they loved has, has died. God didn't stop it. So there's probably a little bit of struggle with faith there. Why didn't God stop this from happening And so they all pack up, they start to leave, and then to top it all off, this this guy named Saul, who we know later becomes Paul, he's out there trying to destroy the church. And so so you would have had children orphaned from their parents because Saul had captured mom and dad and thrown them in prison. So this this is not good. Everybody's in arms. There's, There's chaos everywhere. People are fleeing the city. Now, here's what's interesting. In that paragraph that I just read to you, did you notice two really key words which connected it to Jesus' mission statement? 
If you're not looking for these two words, you don't really see them. But I'm going to read this again. That verse said, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Why are those words important? Do you remember what Jesus said at the very beginning of Acts about where the gospel would spread? He said it would start in Jerusalem, but then it would go to Judea and Samaria. He talks about the exact same locations in Acts 1 that we find about in Acts 8 under the context of persecution. Now, my guess is in Acts 1, when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. If I'm an apostle, I'm thinking this is great. We're going to do the, the Pentecost thing in Jerusalem. Then we're going to pack up the gospel tour bus. And we're going to just travel around to other cities. And we're just going to do Pentecost over and over again. And we're just going to preach the gospel. And thousands of people are going to get baptized. And that's the plan of how the gospel is going to spread. Oh, little did they know that that was not going to be the plan. You see, this persecution, as horrible as it was, it was not an unfortunate event in an otherwise really nice heartwarming story it was actually a necessary ingredient. This persecution, even though it was horrible, in the eyes of God, it's not, a, it's not a setback. It's actually a step forward. The church did not simply endure this. They needed it. This was a necessary ingredient for kingdom advancement. So here, let me put this in one simple phrase you can remember this week. The Great Commission was built for times of great disruption. The Great Commission was built, it was made for times of great disruption. And think about the logic behind this. When there's a big disruption, what happens? If there's a big disruption, be that a car wreck, a tornado, or a toddler throwing a tantrum, disruptions create moving parts. Like if I had a snow globe up here and I started shaking it, that disruption would cause moving particles of snow in that snow globe. Disruption creates moving parts. This happened a few days ago. We had a lizard get loose in our house, and it happened to find the worst room in the house for a lizard to get loose, which would be our kids' room with all the toys. So, you know, what, what better addition to make to a room full of hundreds and hundreds of Lego sets and hundreds and hundreds of stuffed animals? Well, let's just put a lizard in there. It'd be great. So this lizard gets loose in this room, and so I'm trying to find this lizard, and boy, howdy, did I, did I cause a lot of moving parts with this disruption. I mean, I pull furniture off the wall. There's Lego pieces everywhere. I've got a shoebox and a fly swatter. Not sure why I picked those, but that's the two tools I used. And I'm running around the room, and it is, it's chaos. And at the end of a good 45-minute stretch, I, I did not catch the lizard. But I destroyed the room. And that's the point. Disruption creates moving parts. But here's the key. Moving parts make open hearts. Like when things are, are shaking and they're moving around, what happens is, is people's hearts are open. So, so the, the best modern example would be in the last decade, the, Syri the Syrian refugee crisis. This is happening. Great disruption, this long-term war, rav ravaging the country of Syria and other parts. And these people don't know what to do, and, and so they're having to seek asylum el elsewhere. And, and what we know is that this, is create, this disruption, it's creating a lot of moving parts. The moving parts are making for open hearts. And so as these people leave Syria, they're, they're open to something. We, we want something more. And so there's been more of these refugees and more Muslims specifically that have come to the gospel in the last five to ten years than, than have happened in the last hundred because of this disruption. And so disruptions aren't necessarily something we should avoid. They're not necessarily bad, but 
I think that disruption is the best context for the spread of the gospel. Here's another example, a guy named Christo Kulikov, author and speaker John Piper talks about him. I read this great story about Christo. So Christo, he's a preacher, small village, small church in Bulgaria. The year is 1985. And there's this city council meeting, and they, they, they vote to restrict religious freedom. And so they tell Christo that you're not allowed to preach at your church anymore. Well, he's pretty bold, and so the very next Sunday he stands up and he preaches at his church, and so they send in people and they, they arrest him, and Christo goes to jail for eight months. When he gets out of jail, he tells his story, and I love this quote from this preacher who spent eight months in prison. He said this, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions, and we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in the church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. So the, so the point there is that this great disruption was actually fuel for the Great Commission. Now, what, what exactly does that mean for us? I think this means that this is the greatest moment for the Great Commission in a great long time. Because this is the greatest disruption that our world has seen in over 100 years. And so what this means is that, like, you have real people in your life that are more open to the story of the gospel, arguably, than at any other point in their life because of the disruption. Like, real people, this is your neighbors, this is the people you go to school with, this is the person that sits next to you in third hour math, this is the person four cubicles across from you. These are real people that you know. And if there was ever a year where people would be open to spiritual things, it is this year. Just two days ago, I had a repairman over at my house, and he's working on, I had a problem with my, my garage, and, and I start talking to him. He lives across the street in Northwood, and he starts telling me about his life, and I start telling me about his life, and, and what I gather is that his life is very disrupted, just like everybody else. And so I tell him about our church. I tell him about our church programs. I point him to various things our church is doing. But what really struck me is that he's open because his life is disrupted. Like he's looking for something. See, one thing that this year has taught all of us is that our world, like collectively, is more vulnerable than we thought. Like we have so much wealth in this country and so much power and so much affluence in the there's been so much progress made scientifically for centuries now, but if this year has taught us anything, it's that we're not in control. We're vulnerable. And see, the more depressing that the world gets, the more the world needs hope. And this is the opportunity for Christians to shine because we have that. We have hope. We have an anchor. We have this story that not just for a few years, but for centuries has kept generation after generation grounded to something greater than themselves. This, our story keeps us grounded into purpose, into friendship, into meaning, into the afterlife. And we have that in the middle of the most disruptive year that any of us have ever experienced. This is our opportunity. Now, let me ask you a question here. In the first century... You take this formidable pairing of great commission, great disruption, 
and it leads to great revival. My question would be, why do you think that is not happening right now? We have the exact same two ingredients. Great commission, these crystal clear words of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And we have this great disruption that is affecting the whole world. Why do you think that we're not seeing the great revival that they saw 2,000 years ago? I'll give you my theory. I think the first century church had a third ingredient. I want to read you the very next verse in Acts chapter 8. So remember, persecution is happening. Saul's trying to destroy the church. Stephen's dead. Here's the next verse. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. This first century group of believers not only had the Great Commission, they not only had great disruption, they had a third ingredient. Here's the third ingredient. They had a motivated church. A motivated church. This great disruption had not changed their conviction. They believed they were saved, and they believed they were sent. And so it didn't matter where they went. They couldn't help themselves but to declare to the world that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and he had called all people to repent and believe the gospel. So here's a question I have for you. How would you evaluate yourself on the third metric? The first one, great uh, commission, second great disruption. The third ingredient that I'm suggesting is a motivated church. How would you evaluate yourself on that particular category as a, as a Christian? How motivated have you been and are you to share the gospel? See, I, I'll confess to you, I, this is the greatest challenge, I think, for us today. It's not disruption. I think there's something far worse than disruption. It's inertia. You remember those science classes you took in middle school or high school? You remember what inertia is? An object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon. And then it's also an object at rest tends to stay at rest unless there's an external force acting upon it. You think that could happen to a church? You betcha. That can happen to objects. That can happen to people. Absolutely that can happen to churches. And so when it happens to a church, what happens is a church in comfort tends to stay in comfort unless something happens to act upon it. And so sometimes I wonder if our affluence and our luxury and our comfort and our ease and our power and our safety have led to the greatest spiritual virus of our day, which would be missional apathy. And so I'll tell you, I am excited about the next few weeks leading up to Mission Sunday because whenever I talk to missionaries, whenever I hear from missionaries, I am motivated again because missionaries can't afford to be apathetic. They can't afford to be comfortable. And so I think we need to hear from them the next few weeks. It's, it's not just our job to be in the role of supporting. It's, a, it's our job to be in the role of, of learning from our missionaries. And so I want to push you just a minute this morning. I'm not trying to guilt trip you, but it is my job as your preacher to, to challenge you and, and to challenge myself. So I do want to push you just, just a minute here. I want you to think about your top three goals in life right now. Maybe that's save enough to buy a house, save enough to buy a car. Maybe you're wanting to plant a garden. Maybe you're wanting to pursue some new degree, pursue some new relationship, do this home remodel that you've had going for a long time. Maybe your, your big goal in life is to make a few new friendships. What, what are your three biggest goals in life right now? And here's my question. I really, 
I, I am pushing this morning. I am trying a little bit to step on her toes. Do any of those three goals have anything to do with the mission of God? The reality is a lot of us, we got really comfortable. And we forgot our calling to, to tell the world about Jesus. And so I'll tell you my, my prayer, it's been lately, and I'll pray this at the end of this message today. It's, my prayer is that this disruption that we're all experiencing right now this year, I pray that it does not just affect our social behavior and our hygiene. I'm praying that it'll start to affect our souls. Because for some of us, we, we need to wake up. The world needs Jesus. And it's our job to share Jesus with the world. So I want to give you two practical ways you can do this, and then I'll be done. It's very simple. You can bring the church to your friends, and you can bring your friends to church. So speaking of opportunities, just some of you already know this, but 2020, not because of me, but because of a lot of other people that are good, good with technology, we have upped the quality of our game as far as our, our online presence and as far as our technology goes, which means it is easier than ever for you to share things happening at our church family with other people. And so if, if you've connected with our, our live stream over the last few weeks, just send, send the link to somebody else. Uh, I don't know if we've ever officially announced this, but another thing to know is that all the sermons that we're doing now are being loaded onto the podcast app on, on, on the iPhone. And so if you connect particularly with a certain message, that's so easy. Well, a friend of mine was doing that just the other day. He was looking for a message. He just, he just sent it to a friend right when I was sitting uh, next to him at a table. It's, it's so easy right now to take our church to your friends. Use these ways. And then secondly, don't just bring our church to your friends. Bring your, bring your friends to church. It's a great time of the year to invite somebody to come to church with you. Lord willing, we are out of like the sauna Sundays. Like this is amazing. I, I could do church like this for a long time. Invite your friends to our church family. About a year ago, the big thing we we're talking about is that 19,000 people in this, uh, in the five miles surrounding our church building don't know Jesus. 19,000 people. They need friends. They need hope. And they need Jesus. And my guess is they're more willing to hear it now than they were one year ago. And so the only question is, are we going to be a motivated church? Let's, let's bow and pray together. Father, you're not afraid of disruption. And the amazing thing about your story is that it, you used it as part of your plan. Judea and Samaria would have never received the gospel had it not been for the great persecution, had it not been for the death of Stephen, had it not been for the murderous threats breathed out by Saul. And so what everybody else saw as, as a really bad thing and as the thing that would derail the great Christian story, Father, you saw that as the very way the gospel would be spread. And this year, there's been so many things to disrupt our lives and disrupt our health and disrupt our finances and disrupt our relationships. But Father, you're the same God. And you're not afraid of disruption. You're not afraid of this virus. You're not afraid of this pandemic. You are calling and asking your people to step up just like they did 2,000 years ago to share the gospel with the world that needs it. And so, Father, I do pray that it won't just be our, our social habits that are disrupted. And I pray that it's not just our hygiene that is disrupted. Father, I pray that you disrupt us at our soul level. 
Help us to remember the power of the gospel and help us to remember that you've asked us to be your ambassadors. So, Father, put faces in our minds of our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and then give us the courage to not just say, oh, yeah, good sermon, Phil, let's just move on with life. But would you give us the courage to say, this is my story and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and it's my job to do something about it. Would you give us courage just like you did the apostles 2,000 years ago? Courage that doesn't come from our own story, but courage that comes from you, Father. Change our hearts. Make us motivated people to share the gospel with the world that desperately needs it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen.